0: So as most of you in the room know, um, my wife and I have twins. Uh, they're numbers four and five. And uh, if you know them, maybe you know how to distinguish them. Maybe you know even how we maybe dress them to tell them apart, but they are identical twins, uh, Sam and John. And if you don't interact with them much, if you don't know them much, or if you don't aren't around them very often, and you just see them, you look at them and you're like, man, they look identical because they're identical twins. But if you spend any amount of time with them, you learn not only are there little physical differentiations between them that you can kind of say, okay, this one's John, this one's Sam, but you can also tell just by their personality, which one's which. And because my wife and I, because Amanda and I are their parents, we know them uh, probably better than, than anyone else. And we're able to kind of pick out this is John's character Trait or personality trait. This is Sam's character trait and personality trait. But all that to say, from the the outside perspective, if you're just somebody that's just looking at them and you don't know them and you haven't spent time around them to learn their mannerisms or anything, you're going to look at them and say, Those are identical twins. They look the same. A lot of times for us as Christians in the church, we can find that there are a lot of people in the church that look like believers and that look like Christians, who actually in reality may not be Christians. They look the same from the outside, but there are little traits about them. There are little attributes about them and and characteristics about them that say, you know what, you're not really a follower of Christ. And on the flip side, there are those believers in the church that when you examine their life and when you look at their life, what you find is that there are traits about them and characteristics about them that say, no, this person is truly a follower of Christ. Jesus told a parable in Matthew chapter 13 when he started out his parables and he told the parable of the sower. Well, he told another one also about sowing seed in that same chapter. He says this in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. He says, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away, sowed weeds rather, among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds also appeared and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to him, an enemy has come and done this. So the servant said, then do you want us to go and gather them? That is the weeds. And he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. In the, the original language there, it's, it's a, a word, it's a particular plant called a tear, T-A-R-E. And the tare was almost identical to the wheat. And the only time that you could really tell is in harvest season, because you would see the fruit from the wheat. You would see the, the bud from the wheat would actually bear fruit, but the tare, though it looked exactly like the wheat, would not produce any fruit. And so Jesus is telling this parable saying, look, that's how the church is gonna be. That's how the kingdom is going to be. There are going to be believers and unbelievers alike that are together, that are together still involved in and a part of the church. And rather than having his angels come down right now and just immediately separate out one from the other, he's saying, No, we'll take care of that when it comes harvest time. Well, tonight I want us to think about what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it look like to be a believer? We've talked a lot in this series so far about the fact that our relationship with Christ is rooted and grounded in the gospel, which says that I am saved through what? Through something alone by what alone? Through faith alone by grace alone, right? I want to establish that. Okay, everybody hear me tonight say this at the outset of this particular message. Your salvation is not about your works. Let me reiterate that. Your salvation is not about your works. You do not work to be saved. You do not bring anything to the table to be saved. In fact, you don't even bring your faith to the table to be saved. That is a gift of God, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, lest anyone should even be able to boast in saying, well, I chose God. Paul is saying in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you didn't even do that. So again, let me reiterate, you are not saved by works. What am I saying? You are not saved by works. Okay, we're all on the same page on that, yes? Okay, what I want us to do then is think about if that's true, if I'm saved and and, and it's not by works, then on the backside of my salvation, so to speak, on the backside of my conversion, what should my life look like? What does it mean to be a Christian, in other words? How do I distinguish myself from the tares, from the weeds? How does my life look different from somebody who is not a Christian? And what's the relationship there? Grab your Bibles, Galatians chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 6 through 10. Galatians 6, 6 through 10. the text says this, it says, let let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So, then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So, Paul starts out there in verse 6. He says, Hey, let the one who's taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So, in other words, he's saying, Hey, take care of your pastors so that they can do what they do. But he's talking about sowing. And in a lot of ways, what we sow financially is is a big part of what we're talking about with sowing. In fact, I think he brackets this whole section with that but it's not going to be all about finances. So if you're sitting here tonight thinking this is going to be about finances, it's not. But just as a sidebar, look, you guys are stepping into adulthood and part of being a believer. And it's a part that Amanda and I take part in as well is giving back to the church, giving to what the Lord does in the church. And so if you're not doing that and you are receiving an income, you are receiving blessings from the Lord. He is giving you a job and giving you a paycheck and you are not giving back to him. Then guys, that's, that's a problem. Okay? because it's a, it's a command. It's, it's something that we are to do as an expression of our gratitude and thanksgiving to the Lord. So um, I don't love talking about that and, and saying that because I, I also work at the church, but, um, but that's just the reality. That's what we're called to do. And like I said, that's something that my family does as well. So uh, just to be starting that practice now is huge because you are sowing to what's good, which is what this passage is talking about from here on out. And that's where we're gonna kind of spend the majority of our focus here tonight. He's talking about the two areas that we can sow to. And he starts out and he says, look, he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. That word deceived, it's first off in the the passive tense, right? So it's it's really do not be deceived. Well, who's deceiving you? The answer is in the text, you you are. Do not be self-deceived. Don't fool yourself. In fact, the, the word means don't lead yourself astray. Don't wander away, okay? Don't become so caught up in thinking that you're one thing that you even deceive yourself into thinking that you're something that you're not. Because again, we're talking about what does a genuine, true Christian look like? Again, a Christian not saved by works, a Christian who is saved by grace alone through faith alone. What should their life look like? How do I make sure that I'm not self-deceived? In uh, Deuteronomy 27, 18, which I know everybody knows, but I'll just read it just to jog your memory. Deuteronomy 27, 18 says this, cursed be anyone who misleads, there's the same word, who misleads a blind man on the road and all the people shall say amen. Now that verse has a special impact for me because one of my good friends from seminary back in uh, in Dallas he wasn't blind but he showed up at our small group one night and he was belly laughing in the corner and we were going Nate what in the world is going on? And he told us this story when he was on campus at Dallas and he saw a guy out there and clearly he was blind. He had his, his stick out with him and he was trying to navigate his way to one of the buildings. And so Nathan, being a, a good guy, walked up to him and said, hey, can I help you get to where you're going? And the guy said, yeah, I'm looking to get into to the Hendricks Center. And so Nathan said, okay, great. I'm, I'm happy to help you. Why don't you come with me? And so Nathan kind of held him by the arm and, and walked him and walked him and, and opened the door and, and helped him inside and then shut the door and said, hey, glad to help. See you later. And, and turned around and walked away. Well, Nathan's walking away, and he's halfway across campus, and all of a sudden it dawns on him that he led him to the wrong building. So Nathan took this blind guy and led him into the wrong building and told him that it was the building that it wasn't. And so Nathan, being a good guy though, he wasn't intentionally trying to deceive him, as Deuteronomy says, "Don't do." So he goes back and he finds the guy, and he (laughs) he disguises his voice so that he wouldn't know it was the same guy. He's like, "Oh, are you? you, Can I help you with something?" (laughs) And He's like, yeah, I'm trying to find this building. It's, well, it's not this one. So he leads him to the right one, opens the door. The guy walks in, and I kid you not, the blind guy goes, yeah, this smells right. <laughs> but that's what comes to mind when I think about this, right? Do not mislead a blind man. Well, sometimes we mislead ourselves. We can self-deceive ourselves. Paul warns this in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then here's the same phrase, do not be deceived. Same phrase, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Do not be self-deceived. Do not water down, do not compromise the gospel so that you're deceiving yourself in the end. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, he also says the same thing. Do not be deceived. Same thing. Do not be self-deceived. Bad company what? Your parents probably told you this all the time. Bad company corrupts what? Good morals. Good morals. There it is. It is in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, Don't be self-deceived into thinking that you're going to go hang around with all the, you know, the, the, the bad kids and be like, well, they just really need Jesus, so I'm going to go spend all my time with them and not around any believers thinking that they're going to have a, uh, you're going to have a positive influence on them. Paul's saying that's That's self-deception. They're gonna drag you down with them is what they're gonna do. Do not be self-deceived. Don't be fooled. And in the context here, what he's talking about is he's talking about the the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. He's saying don't be self-deceived. Don't be fooled into thinking that you can live a life where you are sowing to the flesh consistently and believe in your heart that you're good and that you are going to be reaping life as a result of that. We can think we are deceiving others but in reality God is telling us no you're deceiving yourself and Paul says here God is what not mocked God's not mocked God's not fooled God's not having the wool pulled over his eyes God is not going to be disrespected which is really what this is all about it's it's to treat with contempt is what he's saying here in Luke 23:35 when Jesus is on the cross it's the same word that's used here, which is amazing when, when we consider what we're talking about. Luke 23, 35, it says, and the people stood by watching at a distance, but the rulers scoffed at him. The rulers mocked him. The rulers treated him with contempt. The rulers disrespected him on the cross, saying he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, he is, he is the chosen one. Let him save himself. You know, sometimes well, actually quite often, uh, when we give my son Luke his lunch, he will eat some of it and not all of it. And then he'll come to us and be like, hey, I'm I'm done. We'll be like, no, you're not. So no, I'm really, I'm really done. I'm really done. And we know enough now that what do we say? We say, go get us your what? Plate and show us. Why? Because we're not going to be mocked. We're not going to be disrespected. We're not going to be deceived. We know that he's a depraved little four-year-old that lies about finishing his sandwich. And so sure enough, he brings it over and there's a sandwich left on it. We're like, no, go back and sit down and finish your lunch. It's that same concept, guys. It's, it's, we're the four-year-old thinking that God is fooled by our profession of faith when we show up and we play church and we hang out around some Christians some of the time. But the reality is our life is not demonstrating, it's not showing, it's not evidencing that I am anything like a believer at all. And again, you are saved by what? By grace alone through faith alone. We're not talking about what saves you. We're talking about what characterizes you. Characterizes someone who is saved. There's a difference there. Y'all, if your life is marked by fleshly fruit, but you're still claiming Christ, you may deceive your family, your friends, your leaders, your pastors. According to this passage, you may be even deceiving yourself sitting here tonight going, of course, I know I'm a believer. I am a Christian. I prayed the prayer. I walked the aisle. I was baptized. I know I'm saved. I'm good. But yet at the same time, if your life is is evidencing something else, Paul's saying God is not mocked. And he says, for what one sows, that will he reap. And that's what he's going to unpack in the rest of this passage. What you sow is what you're going to reap. Just like the enemy came in and sowed weeds and weeds are what are are going to be produced by that seed. But if you're sowing wheat, then you're going to get wheat. You're going to get what you sow in the end. If you sow good seed, you can expect good fruit. If you sow bad seed, you can expect corruption as our passage will say. But our first point tonight is this. I want you to fear the real danger of self-deception, of a self-deceived profession. Should I fear the real danger of a self-deceived profession. Now, let me come back to this again and tell you again, you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, like we just sang, right? It's a perfect song to lead into this. In Christ alone, okay? Your works don't do anything for you with regards to your salvation. But y'all, if you are saved, your life is going to bear that out. Your life is going to look different your life is going to be transformed. You are a new creation in Christ. John chapter three, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he doesn't say, Hey, you know what? If you want to be saved, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, just walk an aisle and then keep living the life that you're living. No, what does he say? If you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you must be what born again. You must have a new life. Your life must be transformed. It must be different. And y'all you know, listen, if, if your initial reaction to this point is just to brush it off and go, that's not me, then I'm talking to you tonight, okay? Especially if you've grown up from Awana through True North here at this church. It's an incredible blessing, but there's a danger of being self-deceived that comes along with that. You got the Timothy Award, right? You were an LIT. You volunteered with Kidsmen. You were a superstar in Edge. You were Pastor John's favorite in the narrow. You were then Pastor Rod's favorite in True North, and you met with him and studied systematic theologies and stuff. And now you're here, and you're thinking, I'm I'm good because of all that. But then you've got a life that's outside a church that you know about, that no one else maybe knows about. And that life that's outside a church is a life that looks very different than the life that you live when you're here. This quote is one that, I, if you follow me on Instagram, I had it up on my Instagram page earlier this uh, this week, and it just, it, guys, it grabbed me. He says this. He says, there's a common tendency to think that there's one exception to this universal principle. He's talking about this verse. He's, this guy's writing about this passage that we're studying. Though it proves true, this is the, the, the common tendency, though it, it's true for everyone else, it's not true for me. I won't have to reap a harvest from the good seeds that I sow. I can sow whatever seed I want and still expect a good harvest. That's it right there, guys. I can live my life however I want to live my life and still expect that I'm going to be fine with Jesus on judgment day. This is the common line of thought that only proves the words of the prophet Jeremiah. The heart is deceitful. Again, that self-deception. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Cure. Our capacity for self-deception is frightening. It's frightening. It's amazing how blind, otherwise brilliant people can be to their own spiritual direction in life. In fact, more, the more brilliant people are, the more skilled they are at developing rationalizations to deceive themselves and to hide from God. Guys, that is it. And I, I just like just quite honestly, and just to to be straight up with you, I, I feel like there are probably those in this room tonight where that's where you're at. You are brilliant. And you have played the game forever. And you are so good at playing the game that you've even now convinced yourself that you are on the home team. That you're good, that you're fine, that you don't need to worry about it, that you don't need to worry about you know, repenting from your sins and putting your faith in Jesus, you've already done that. You don't need to go back and do that again. But your life, guys, is in tatters. Your, your, your private life is not what you know that God would want it to be. You're sowing to the flesh day after day after day. You know, the New Testament implies that we should be continually investigating ourselves, examining ourselves. Sometimes I've gotten pushback on this. People going, man, you're causing people to question their faith. And that's not the goal. If we're doing this and we're walking with the Lord, guys, what examining yourself is going to do is it's going to give you confidence in your faith. If you are so into the Spirit, then then that's just going to give you increased confidence in your relationship with the Lord. The only reason this is going to bring doubt and question into your life is if you're looking at your life and you're not seeing the fruit. Some of these passages we've already talked about in this series, Galatians 6.4, but let each one test his own work. Test it, examine it, inspect it. Be your own fruit inspector. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Or how about, how about 2 Corinthians thirteen five? Examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. This is exactly what we're talking about here. Examine yourselves to make sure that you're not self-deceived. Check yourself to see if you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? 2 Peter 1.10. 2 Peter 1.10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. How? Well, look at your life. If you're practicing these qualities, you will never fall. Peter's just listed a a list of virtues in that passage. I think we looked at that last week together even. And he's saying, look, confirm your calling and election. How do I do that, Peter? Well, look at your life, examine your life. Do you see these evidence of sowing to the fruit, sowing to the spirit in your life? If you don't, if you see more sowing to the flesh in your life, then Peter's saying, you've got a problem. You can't confirm your calling and election in that situation y'all the reason for passages like Galatians 5 and 2 Peter 1 and Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 and Romans 12 which are all these passages of like hey look this is how you should be living your life is to help us guard against the danger of self deception anytime you see hey you should be putting off and putting on anytime you see hey don't do these things and do these things right it's it's not that that they're saying if if you want to be saved don't do this and do this no if you want to be saved what is it it's about I have my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. I'm saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. Are we clear on that again tonight? Okay, this is not about salvation. This is about now what your life should look like as one who is saved. And as one who is saved, we should be examining our lives to make sure that we are walking in the faith. I've got a a clip that uh, they're gonna bring up behind me here in in just a second here. It's from a movie uh, called Beware of of Christians, which I know sounds like a, a really weird movie. Um, but it's a documentary that uh, I think four guys, three guys did. Um, and uh, the way that this guy kind of sums it up at the end here is, is just really poignant for what we're talking about. Um, basically, they've been going through this entire documentary. They, they went overseas to Europe, these three college guys, and they took a video camera and they began to talk to people about Christianity. They began to talk to people about what it looks like to live out your faith. They began to talk to people about what that should actually mean in their lives. And then kind of at the end, they did these these kind of one-on-one kind of recap conclusion videos together. And this one I wanted you to see. Let's go ahead and run it.
1: All right, something that's been on my heart for, I guess ever since I think I really became a Christian, which was I guess maybe beginning freshman year of college is I sit in church and I listen to the pastor and he always does it like his voice will change and everyone will get serious and he'll start talking about hey if you're out there and you're not saved and you don't know Jesus just say this little prayer with me that's all you have to do. That's where I was like in ninth and tenth grade I was like oh well I'm a Christian I said my prayer in ninth grade at Bible camp and oh so I'm saved. That's not it it's not just saying one little prayer and you're saved. When you're saved, like you're reborn, like you're, you're a different person, like you see things from a different perspective and you're gonna you're bear fruit that's gonna help other people and you're gonna live your life differently. And It's not about like America's view on Christianity and you know, go to church, do this, and you're a Christian, like that's not it. That's not it at all. But I just wanted to add after that little statement that says all you have to do is say a little prayer and then right after it just say and it's going to be the hardest decision you've ever made in your entire life. I mean think about it you're giving up your life to like you're handing your life over to 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 God. You're not just doing what you want to do and picking out parts of the Bible that you want to follow. You are completely surrendering humbling yourself before God and changing your life and it's the best decision you'll ever make. Just add that at the end. Don't just make it to where people who just came to church sit up there and they're like, oh all you have to say is a prayer? That's sweet, I want to be a Christian. Oh, it keeps you away from hell? Okay, I'm in. And I know I'm coming off harsh, but crap! The scariest thing in the world today is that there's hundreds of thousands of Christians walking around thinking that they're saved because a pastor told them that. And that, like, that breaks my heart. And, um.
0: He says, you're giving up your life. You're handing your life over to God. You're not just doing what you want to do and picking out parts of the Bible you want to follow, you're completely surrendering and humbling yourself before God and changing your life. And he said the scariest thing is that there's hundreds and thousands, I don't know if that's what he said, or thousands of Christians walking around this world thinking that they're saved because a pastor told them they are. And that's what we're talking about tonight, guys. Your confidence in your salvation is not based on me saying, hey, yeah, you're a Christian. It's not based on whoever baptized you saying you're a Christian. It's not based on Pastor Mike saying you're a Christian. It's not based on your mom and dad saying you're a Christian. Your relationship with the Lord is based solely on what? Faith in Jesus Christ alone as your Lord and Savior. And if you have that, if you have that faith, it's going to transform your life. And if you're not seeing that transformation, if you're sitting here tonight going, I'm a Christian, but your life looks the same as it always has and there's not this progressive growth in Christ's likeness, then you shouldn't be confident that you are a Christian. Y'all, I want you to love Jesus most. You guys know that, you've heard me say that. I want you to do the things that stir your affections for Jesus. I want you to love him. I want you to want to be with Christ. I want you to want to pray to Jesus. I want you to want to worship Jesus. I want you to want to live for Jesus. But I also want you to understand that a love for Jesus and a desire for godliness are not mutually exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive at all. In fact, they go hand in hand. If you love Jesus, you're gonna love what he loves. You're gonna hate what he hates, guys. Otherwise, you don't really love Jesus. Jesus, you love the idea of being saved. Paul keeps going in verse eight. He says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. There's two types of seed that can be sown. And the first one is seed that is sown to our flesh. Well, what does that mean? Well, we've talked about this already, right? And we've seen this before as well. Hey, can one of you guys in the back run me up the clicker because my iPad is uh, delayed on the uh, advancing. But this is sowing to the flesh, guys, this list. And this list is, is taken, thanks Matt, from Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That list right there, if you're looking at that list going, man, that sounds a lot like my life. Not everything on there, hopefully. But if you would say, man, my life is characterized by a pattern of consistent behavior that are those things, then what you are identifying is that your life has been patterned and characterized by a life of sowing to the flesh. And Paul says at the end of verse 21, he says, look, I warn you, I warn you, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God sowing to the flesh the second thing though is you can also be one who sows to the spirit sows to the spirit well what does that look like that looks like the other fruit list right the fruit of the spirit is Galatians 5, through 23, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Again, I would ask you as you look at that, is that what your life is characterized by? If you look at the pattern of your life, if you look at yourself, if you were to talk to your closest loved ones, your closest family members, your closest friends, the people that really know you the best, would they say, yeah, you are a person who is loving, joyful, peaceful? patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, self-controlled, would they say, yeah, that, that, that characterizes your life? Would you say that characterizes your life? If you would, then, then that's what it looks like. And that's what it means to sow to the spirit. There's two options for you on the fruit that you will reap. You're either going to sow fruit of the flesh or sow fruit of the spirit. And just like there's two types of seeds, there are also two results or two harvests, two outcomes of those. And that is the outcome of corruption and the outcome of eternal life. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Corruption, well, what's that word mean? Well, it means what it sounds like. It means corruption. It means destruction is what it means. And that has a temporal element and that also has an element beyond the temporary. Temporary. That has a temporal element, and that this. If you guys are living a life where you are sowing seeds to the flesh, your life is not going to be going well for you. It's just not. You're not going to find satisfaction. You're not going to find joy. You're not going to find meaning. You're not going to find fulfillment. You're not going to find purpose. You're not going to find hope. You're not going to find love. You're not going to find acceptance. You're not going to find escape from the crushing despair of the reality of the broken and fallen world that we live in if you spend your life sowing to the flesh, you're not gonna find those things. There's a temporary corruption and destruction that will just, like a, a dark storm cloud, just own your life. Some of you are, are saying to, to your, me right now in your mind, yeah, I, I, know, I know what that's like. Maybe I've, I've been there. Some of you may be even sitting here tonight going, I am there. The flip side though is if you sow to the spirit, it says you will reap eternal life. But I want to back up for a second because that implies that there's a, another element to this corruption. It's not just temporary, but it's what? It's eternal. Again, the warning is issued here. Not about how to, how am I saved? It's not about how I'm saved. It's that if I'm professing to be saved, I need to look at my life. I need to hold my life up to this, uh, these lists and say, am I r- harvesting, am I, am I sowing seed that results in, in life or death? And Paul's saying, look, if you're sowing seeds to the flesh, there is eternal destruction that awaits you. Even if you're sitting there trying to pull the wool over everybody's eyes, including your own, saying, I'm a Christian. Because guys, here's, here's the thing about salvation. God will save you where you're at, but he won't leave you there after he saved you. He'll save you wherever you are at. So if you are here tonight and you've played the church game your whole life and tonight you're like, man, this is pressing in on me in a hard way because I know he's talking to me. I know I'm not right with the Lord. I know I'm not saved. But man, I've told so many people that I am. I've played this game and I've fooled so many people. I can't do it right now. I, God can't save me right now. Yes, he can. He will save you where you're at. If you're here tonight and you're going, man, I, I'm not even making any bones about it. I'm not a Christian. And I've lived a life that's, that's totally a life of the flesh. And I, I, that's, that's just who I am. And, and I'm aware of that. But man, I've done so much wrong. There's no way God would save me. Yes, he will. He will save you where you are, but he will not leave you there. So if you're sitting here going, well, I've been saved for 15 years, but your life has not changed one iota, and you're looking at your life and you're seeing more flesh than spirit, then I think the answer is that you've got serious cause to be concerned over whether or not you are truly saved to begin with. Because the flip side is if I sow to the spirit, I will reap eternal life. Eternal life. That's the expectation. If we will live godly lives of obedience to Christ, man, it's eternal life. Not that we're saving ourselves and meriting that, no, but we are evidencing the fact that Jesus has saved us, that the spirit has made us a new creation and now we are following our savior. Second point tonight is this, don't bank on life if you've been sowing for death. Don't bank on life if you've been sowing for death. I get it y'all, you're sitting out there tonight going, man, this seems like a heavy emphasis on works. That's why I started by saying, let me be clear, you are saved by what? By grace alone through what? Faith alone in who? Christ alone. That is truth right there. That is the gospel. Period, end of story. You cannot save yourself. You cannot earn your salvation. You cannot work for your salvation. But if you are saved, your life will what? It will look different over time. It's gonna look different over time. And if it doesn't look different at all, guys, and you are sitting here expecting eternal life when you've been so into the flesh your whole life, then you are as Paul would say, self-deceived. The only one, guys, who ultimately knows whether or not you are in Christ is you and Christ. And the way that you can know is through this examination, through this checking of yourself, through seeing if you are truly in Christ or whether you've been living a life that's more full of unchecked, uncomfortable, or unconfronted, rather, repented of, unbroken sin, Here's the reality, guys. The the Savior that we follow, let's talk about him for a minute. Jesus hates sin. If you love sin, there's a disconnect, right? Jesus died for sin. If you plan to sin, there's a disconnect, right? Jesus paid for your sin. If you don't mind your sin, there's a disconnect. You may say, well, Pastor PJ, can't a Christian go through seasons where they, see, they may see more flesh than they do f- spiritual fruit in their lives? Or maybe you would say, can't, can't a Christian go through seasons where they struggle with a particular sin? Can't a Christian go through seasons where their fruit is more fleshly in general than than spiritual? And I think these are legitimate questions. And I'll say this, I think the answer to these questions with a caveat is, yes, I think there can be seasons in our lives where we are walking more in the the flesh than we are in the spirit. I think there can be seasons, times in our lives where that is true. Uh, But here's the deal, guys. If that thought comforts you because of a sin that you're currently harboring in your life, that's not the intention there. If, that's not, if that thought, if that's what you've been waiting to hear, this whole message, if you've been waiting to hear that to kind of be, to, to let your conscience off the hook, if that thought soothes your, your conscience right now, that, that's not the intention here, guys. Because I wouldn't be comfortable if you've got harbored, unconfessed, unrepentant sin in your life. I wouldn't be confident in anything if you've got unconfessed, unrepentant, harbored sin in your life. We need to treat sin, guys, more seriously, more damaging and more threatening than anything else. I mean, look, we've got this virus that's sweeping through, right? This virus that, y'all, they're currently hospitalized in Orange County. Do you know how many many people are hospitalized from COVID right now in Orange County? 158 out of 3.3 million people. 158. Out of 3.3 million. Some of you just picked up your phone because you're like, what's the percentage on that? It's two thousandths of one percent. Okay? And we're terrified about this. And we're putting masks on. And we're distancing. And we're, staring at people with an evil eye when they get too close to us in the grocery line. And we're saying, you can't go into a sports stadium and you can't go into a church and you can't go into a shopping mall and you can't, well, you can go into a shopping mall. You can go into Home, De- Home Depot, but we're, we're, we're freaking out about a virus, right? And we don't care about sin in our lives. Guys, sin is way more deadly than COVID ever has been or ever will be. Ever. Ever, if you want to get serious about something, if you want to protect about, against something in your life, protect against sin in your life. Because it can be deceiving you and blinding you into thinking that you're okay with the Lord when the reality is that you're not because you're sowing flesh, you're sowing works of the flesh, you're sowing sin and expecting to reap life. And in the end, you're not going to get life, guys. You're going to get corruption and you're going to get destruction. Destruction. Paul continues in verses nine through 10. He says this, and let us not grow weary then. Let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Let me deal with that last phrase there. Let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Remember how I said at the beginning with verse six, he's talking about giving to the church or giving to pastors. I think he's talking about the same thing there at the end. And I think he's kind of bookending this, okay? He's saying, look, if you want to sow, it's, it's a good thing to sow and make investments into the church and into the, what the, the, the work that the church is doing. But let's keep going with what he's talking about here in verse 9. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. Let us not grow weary. He's saying, don't lose enthusiasm. Don't let up. Don't slow up. Don't give up. Keep pressing on. Keep going. Paul says this in, in 2 Thessalonians 3.13. Similar, he says in 2 Thessalonians 3.13, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Don't give up in pursuing Christ-likeness. Don't give up in pursuing godliness. If you're here and you're saying, man, it's, it's so hard, though. Yes. That's, if, you're, if you're sitting here going, man, It is a battle for me daily to live as a believer in this world. Guess what, guys? You guys are on the right track because this world is not our home. This world is not our friend. Peter says we are aliens and strangers, and we need to wage war against the fleshly lust. We need to abstain from the fleshly lust, which wage war against our souls. That's the world that we live in, guys. This life, if you are following Jesus, is going to be exhausted. It's not an easy path. Remember, what did Jesus say? He said, broad and wide and easy is the path that leads to what? Destruction. But the, the way that leads to life is what? Narrow and difficult. Right? Let us not grow weary. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Of what? Of doing Good. Of doing good. Here's some passages to think about, guys. Second Corinthians nine eight says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every what? Good work. God's gonna give you grace in order to make sure that you are what? Doing good works. Oh, man, we're talking about works in church. That's uncomfortable. I'm not. The Bible is. Ephesians 2.10. Right after, right after the champion cry of, by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. And let's establish that one more time, okay? How are you saved? You are saved by grace through faith in Christ. Period, end of story. Do you work for your salvation? No, right? But if you are saved, your life will look different. Look at verse 10 of Ephesians 2. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. What's that say? For, which is a statement of purpose, right? For good works. God saved you to make sure that you are about the business of doing good works, of obeying Christ. Oh, man, man, don't, don't talk about works, man. We're working for our salvation now. No, you're not. You're following Jesus. And it's going to transform your life. It's going to change you. Don't talk about works in church. I'm not. God is. Philippians two twelve through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Oh, man, that makes me feel so uncomfortable. Work out my salvation. I thought that's not what I'm supposed to do with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And that's such a good verse for us to sum up here what we're talking about. Because if you are saved, God dwells in you. Yes, and that is who that dwells in you. It's not Jesus. There was some little girl that went in for an x-ray and was like, man, mom and dad, I'm afraid to go in for the x-ray. And they were like, why are you afraid to go in the x-ray? And she was having a chest x-ray. And she said, because I asked Jesus into my heart and he's going to get zapped by the radiation." This is the harm that we do when we tell people to ask Jesus into their hearts, okay? Jesus is not living in your heart, okay? Blood and muscle and tissue is living in your heart. The Holy Spirit does dwell in you, though, yes? And if God is working in you, he's working in you to will and to work for his good pleasure, which means he wants you to what? Follow Jesus. And what does that mean? He wants you to put your faith into action, into work, into practice, yes? Okay. Okay. He says, for why? For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. The harvest is coming. The harvest is coming. And now he's, he's holding it out as a, a good thing. He's saying, look, don't grow weary. Don't give up. Keep working. Keep laboring. Keep going because the harvest is coming. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those of the household of faith. Our final point tonight is this. Recognize that today counts for eternity recognize that today counts for eternity. How many in the room have seen the movie Gladiator? I'm just going to ask that. I'm not even going to recommend it because I don't know that I would. But um, yeah, I've seen it as well. There's a line that Russell Crowe says in there that you guys will remember because it's the he's riding back and forth in front of the, the, his men right at the opening and the fog is on the ground and he's in his war steed and everything else and it's just one of those like Mel Gibson Braveheart kind of moments but with Russell Crowe and Gladiator and you're just so excited and you're so ready to just scream at the TV, right? And he gets ready and right before they go and he's like, look, some of you are gonna die and you're like, oh man. And then he says this, but brothers, what we do in life, what? Come on, finish it, men come on, echoes in eternity. What we do in life echoes in eternity. It's the closest thing to to Jesus that Russell Crowe has ever said, right? (laughs) It's truth. The life that you're living right now matters eternally. Not for whether or not you get into heaven, that's on Jesus. And that's on what he's done for you. But it matters what your heavenly reality is like. Here's the deal, guys, if somebody told you, hey, look, I'm gonna give you a dollar for every high five you give people over the next five years, what are you gonna be doing every single day? You are gonna be the high five king. You're gonna be going around slapping people's hands, you're gonna be trying to get people just to to fool like, hey, how old are you, going up to little kids hoping they're gonna say five so you could smack their hand and and rack up another dollar, right? You are gonna be giving everyone possible a high five, why? Because there's the promise that for every high five you give, you're going to get a dollar. Why don't we treat eternal reward the same way? The promise is way bigger, way better than that. Jesus is saying, hey, look, if you follow me, there's eternal reward. And we're like, oh, that's cute, but it's like it's in heaven and stuff, and I, whatever. No, like, what do you have now that you're going to take with you when you die? Nothing. Nothing. You're gonna live for eternity with the reward that this life stacks up for you. Matthew 16, 19 through 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and, and steal. But Jesus says what? Lay up for yourselves treasures in where? Heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. You have a safety deposit box in heaven that you're gonna get access to when you stand before the Lord. What's in it? What's in it? Matthew 16:27 says this, for the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father and then he will repay each one according to what he has done. What's that experience gonna be like for you? This is, again, let me distinguish this, which I uh, didn't do well enough last time. This is the Bema seat of Jesus. This is not the great white throne. The great white throne is where the unbelievers are, and then they are not found written in the book of life, and they are cast into to everlasting torment in hell, right? The Believers don't go before the great white throne. Believers will go, according to 2 Corinthians 5.10, before the Bema seat of Jesus, right? The judgment seat of Jesus for the assessment of our reward. And that's going to be a place where you're not going to be punished, but if you're not living for Christ, if, if, if you're not fully obeying him, there's going to be a lot that's, that's lost, a lot of stuff that's, that's burnt up, wood, hay, and stubble, right, that doesn't pass through the, the, the test there. But if you are living for Christ, that's where you're going to get the commendation and get the reward for the life that you're living here, right? And that's going to make an impact in eternity. And you say, well, how? I don't know, but It will. It will. And I'd rather err on the side of, I'd like to go to heaven with quite a few rewards than going to heaven and being like, dude, I got nothing. I got like a jack-in-the-box token. I don't even know what that is. I don't think they make those. 1 Corinthians 13, th- 3, rather, 13 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15, each one's work will become manifest. This is what he's talking about here. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. That's the bema seat described for you right there in 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15. Guys, these promises about reward in the future are real promises. If Bill Gates was standing right here and said. I will give you a dollar for every person that you high five over the next five years, and it's set in stone, and we've got it guaranteed. It's set up, it's legal, it's everything. We both signed the contract. You're gonna be giving people high fives like crazy, right? You just are. Because you're like, I want the money. Well, Jesus has said there's there's something way better for you. Christian, there's something way better for you. There's eternal reward at stake if you will follow me, if you will pursue good works there's going to be eternal reward. That's way more motivating, or it should be. The three questions, though, you have to ask, actually, I'm going to add a fourth, but the the first one is this. Do you believe these promises? Do you believe that, that there's eternal reward that waits for you, that that day will come, that that day will happen? Do you believe that? Second, Do you value those rewards? Do you think that they're worth it to you? To say no to things here on earth in order to be able to say yes to that reward in heaven? Third, do you see the connection between your life and these rewards? Because guys, you don't earn your salvation, okay? Let me be clear on that. Let's go over it one more time. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone. I don't want anybody coming up to me afterwards going, hey, you just preached a a works salvation message. That's not what we're talking about. You don't merit your salvation, but let me be clear, you do merit your rewards. You do. You do merit your rewards. You earn your rewards according to the life that you live now in Christ. Do you see the connection? And then the fourth question, and I don't have it up here because it just came to me, it's this are you even in Christ to be eligible for these rewards? Cuz that's really what we're driving at here. Are you saved? If you're saved, you're going to be sown to the spirit and not to the flesh. If you're saved, you're going to be living your life in Christ and not in the flesh. You're not going to be self-deceived. Y'all, everything that you do in this life does matter for eternity. It does. Not for whether or not you're saved. That's on Jesus. Guys, if you're out here tonight and this message has just nailed you between the eyes because you know looking at your life that you have been self-deceived or you just know that you've just been playing a game and deceiving others, let tonight be the night that you don't go home without pulling me aside or pulling one of your leaders aside and having a conversation saying, Dude, I, I, I want to be saved and, and really truly saved. Let's deal with that tonight. Let's do business with God tonight on that, okay? But for the rest of us in this room, let this be a motivating message for us to go, man, I, I want to examine my life and see what I, what have I been doing? Have I been sown to the flesh? i Have been sown to the spirit? And I, God, I, I, I want to sow more and more and more to the spirit every single day and less and less and less to my flesh, Guys, let me just be straight with you up here and just honest with you guys. This is not something that just goes away and it becomes easy to sow to the Spirit if you're a Christian. There are times, guys, that I have uh, times of battling the flesh in my own life, okay? So I'm not talking about perfectionism. I'm talking about your direction. Are you progressing towards Christ? Seeing more and more fruit of the Spirit in your life and less and less fruit of the flesh in your life. That's what we're after. That's what we're after. Let's pray. God, I know this is a weighty, weighty, weighty sermon, and yet I pray that you would use it for whatever you see fit, whatever your intended means and and, and purposes are, Lord, to spur us on towards Christ's likeness I know it has me this week just wrestling with this passage in my office. God, I just pray that it would be just a motivator to us. Lord, if this is a, a message that you would, by your grace, see fit to grab somebody who is not in Christ and open their eyes to to come to faith in Christ. Lord, may you do that. That would be amazing to hear that, Lord. But may you use this for whatever will bring you most glory and honor. God, I pray for our small groups that this would be a time of transparency, of honesty, and that our students would just, Lord, benefit through this time and sharpen one another during this time as well, we pray. We ask all this, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.